Hi, you're listening to TA20, a recruiting team's go-to source for actionable information about talent acquisition trends and best practices, hosted by Lauren Friedman and Amaya Deshmukh. All right, what's up, Lauren? Hey, Amaya. So, not too much. <laughs> <laughs> what, are we, uh, what are we talking about today? Um, today, as we mentioned at the uh, outro of our last podcast, right. we were talking about one of my favorite things in the world, which is making an excellent candidate experience. And why are we talking about candidate experience? Um, so, you know, as a recruiter, you are typically the first and last person that a candidate is going to speak with in the process. So it's one of the ways that you can really make a huge impact. And, um, you know, if, if you've ever worked with, uh, you know, a candidate that has a lot going on, as most of them do, um, you'll find, you know, your candidate experience can sometimes really make or break. Um Hiring teams, you know, will will forget that interviewing isn't just a one way street. You know, the experience that your candidate has while they're interviewing with your company really sets the tone for how they're going to be treated, you know, in your organization. So I like to say that employee experience really starts with candidate experience. And then like that's got to be so much more important now, especially with how competitive the job market is. Absolutely. So, you know, regardless of what industry you're in, it, it really is a candidate's market right now. There's so many more tools that candidates can use, you know, to get their resume and their their you know, presence out there. So like I said, sometimes what really can make or break a decision around which company to, you know, accept an offer from can be how the candidate felt going through the process. You know, a lot of these decisions are based on emotions. So, you know, was communication really clear and consistent? Um, Were interviewers prepared? Did the candidate feel like a respected and valuable potential Mm -hmm. member of the team? Um, You know, all of these things really contribute to that great candidate experience. Right. And, you know, we we like to think that when we're making a decision about something like getting a job or deciding which job to take, that it's a very logical decision every time. But the fact is that it's a decision under a lot of uncertainty. Like a candidate just doesn't know what your company culture is actually going to be like, no matter how many employee storytelling videos you make. And they got to base that off of the interactions that they had with the people and the processes that exist there. Exactly. Um, So let's, let's get some more granularity on some of those points um, that you mentioned, like where the interview is prepared and did the candidate feel like a respected and valuable potential member of the team? Um, what does a strong and effective candidate communication look like? Yes. So continuing the theme from the last episode, um, you can really lean on setting up a solid hiring process. And you're going to see a lot of cascading impact from this. So, you know, if you've really set up your hiring workflow, you've prepped all your interviewers for what they're going to cover in their interview segments, you know exactly what every step in your hiring flow is going to be. Share that with your candidate. Um, you know they will love to know how much time and you know uh, you know effort that they need to kind of commit to this process. Right. So just like in the last episode where we focused on 
the recruiter sharing the process and getting the person on the hiring team to commit to it, Mm -hmm. do the exact same thing with the candidate. Yeah, exactly. So for example, what I do at the end of every intro call that I have, even if I'm not quite certain if someone's going to be a fit, I'm going to outline the interview process from start to finish. Like, you know, after this call, the hiring manager is going to review. If they give me the thumbs up to schedule, that's going to be a 45 minute phone call. After that is a peer interview phone call for 30 minutes. And then we would invite you on site for five hours. And that's our last step. Mm -hmm. And regardless of whether you're doing uh, recruiting for a more high volume position where there may not be as many steps involved in hiring someone or whether it's for a more high touch position, like a white, white collar position, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, it's really important to set that expectation beforehand Yeah. And and even, you know, sometimes I'll get on the phone with a candidate and be transparent and say, hey, this is the first conversation we've had on this role. We're still outlining the process, but as soon as I've got it, you know, aligned, I'm going to share that with you. And I also reiterate after every step, what the next step is going to be. So if I'm sending, you know, uh, a thank you for your time email after a hiring manager phone call, I'll remind them, um, you know, what the next step is. And Of course, things can change. You know, you want to stick to your hiring plan as much as you can. But every so often you realize, you know, that you need more phone calls or you don't need more phone calls or, you know, you need a second on site. So the best thing that you can do if things do shift, if a different interviewer is taking over, et cetera, et cetera, just let your candidate know that Mm -hmm. so they can manage their expectations, right? The last thing you want them to do is be asking themselves constantly, like, is this the last step? How many more, you know, is it multiple weeks, multiple months? Um, That can really cause a lot of interview fatigue for your candidate. Mm -hmm. And especially if this candidate's a passive candidate and they're already employed. um, Sometimes it can be really difficult for people to find that time in their days to to meet with you. Yeah, it's it's a big commitment. Uh, Even just the preparation, you know, even if you're saying, oh, it's a half hour phone call, well, they need to find a half hour in their day to have a quiet right. conversation, right? right. Um, and, and rearrange their schedule. So you're asking something from them. You should try and meet them where they're at as well, as much as you can. Absolutely. So I know last week we talked about streamlining your process. Um, so what are some other ways that you can create a great candidate experience through your hiring process by streamlining it? Yeah. So we talked a little bit about, you know, removing extraneous steps, about trying to make your process as solid and airtight as you can. Um, One thing that I've seen a lot of teams rely on as a step um, in terms of evaluating candidate, you know, experience and background is a take home project or some sort of spec work uh, to make sure that the candidate's a good fit. Right. And then when you say candidate experience in that sentence, you're talking about the their, job experience their, of the candidate. Their work experience. Yeah, yeah, so yeah absolutely. Good to be clear there. Yes. So not their experience in your process, but to evaluate whether they have the background and the skill set required to do, you know, this, this, this role. Mm-hmm. Um, and these take-home projects put a huge burden on candidates who really might not have the time to do this kind of homework. And I call it homework because that's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, imagine that you're working a full-time job, 
plus your commute, you get home, maybe you have kids that you want to spend time with or a pet you have to take care of, or you've got dinner to make, the gym to go to. Maybe you've got other responsibilities on the weekend. You know, it can it can be really difficult to find even one hour of free time, let alone the four to six hours that are usually scoped and asked for to complete these types of take-home projects. Yeah, absolutely. And even like besides take-home projects, things like skills tests, and um, other like hiring indicator surveys, <laughs> yeah. you really got to think about whether or not that's going to add a lot of value to your process. Yes. Or is that just another, you know, metric point that you've built in because you haven't accurately scoped out how you're going to evaluate for a good role candidate fit? Mm-hmm. But let's, let's say if, you know, you have a candidate that has really like specific technical skills and aptitude that they need for that role. Mm-hmm. How, how could a team evaluate that? Without these kind of tests, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if it's part of the job experience, like it's part of your required day-to-day tasks to be crafting business presentations or making case studies or writing code if you're an engineer, chances are your candidate is going to have past work samples that they can provide that are going to, you know, exemplify their work for your needs, right? Um, I also advocate for doing these types of sessions during the onsite. So if you really say, hey, we need a case study, we need to see, you know, how someone thinks about this business challenge, great, have that happen in real time with real information instead of some made up scenario. That's going to give the candidate a really great example of what their day-to-day work is going to be without, you know, some kind of vaporware situation. Um, You know, if you absolutely must have a candidate craft some sort of presentation at home as well, I always say, great, have them then present it during the onsite. So make that work that they're doing at home directly tie into the the work that they're going to be doing in that day and try not to have any other technical requirements mm-hmm. during that day. Have most of the rest of the conversations be uh, conversational so that you're not putting a ton of mental burden on your candidate in addition to the time burden you've already requested from them. Right. And um, if you're if you're hiring candidates for high volume positions like in like in retail or uh, in, in nursing yes. or uh, light industrial. Um, one of the good things there is at least in nursing, you'll have a lot of qualifications certifications, and certifications, right? Yeah. That's the word I was looking for. And you can check those, but in, in retail, I mean, you can just put someone into a um, case study scenario, you know, like, oh, what, what are you going to do? How are you going to deal with a customer that has a problem? Yeah. And that there are still ways that you can figure out if someone has the skills and aptitude for these positions and you can do it in a way that's quick and it isn't a burden to candidates. Exactly. And being able to have that back and forth dialogue rather rather than having a candidate sit at home and take a what if kind of quiz. Right. Um, that's that's a very uh, <laughs> siloed activity. It would it would be much easier in my mind to have that conversation face to face and have a dialogue. Mm-hmm. So make things more conversational and that's going to create a better experience for the candidate and you're going to get a better evaluation of them than you would if you had them fill out that dialogue questionnaire for yeah, managing personality exam. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. On the theme of respecting your candidate's time, what are other adjustments that you can make to the hiring process and the interview process? Yes. So, you know, these little things are really going to go a long way, right? It's all about demonstrating that you value your candidate's time and the effort that they're committing to, you know, 
apply and interview for your team. Um, you know, for example, one thing that I see so frequently and hear candidates complaining about so much, um, if you go on a job site and you're asked to upload your resume, mm -hmm. Does the job site then ask you to manually fill in all of the information mm -hmm. that is on your resume mm -hmm. instead of, you know, kind of uh, text parsing it out? It can take a huge amount of time for a candidate. Yeah, th those are terrible. Every time I've interacted with one of those, I've abandoned the process. I've, I've walked honest. away. Yeah. And um, the, the funny thing is, is that like with, with tools like conversational AI, for example, you don't need to rely on this resume parsing based on a candidate uploading their own data and repeating it over and over again. You, now you can just have an AI reach out, communicate with them and gather that information that you need in a very conversational and more accurate format. Absolutely, yes. And it would remove a huge friction point for candidates. It's it's a really easy one to fix. Absolutely. There's a number of solutions. <laughs> um, another one, uh, so I always recommend, you know, before any interviewer, including yourself, start speaking with a candidate, you need to spend one to two minutes reviewing the resume or the background of the candidate so that you can have an informed conversation. If you're going into that conversation absolutely blind, it's a huge sign of disrespect. And the candidate will be able to tell that as you're talking to them, it's the first time that you're laying eyes on the resume that they spent a lot of time crafting for your review. Mm -hmm. And I think that's another thing that uh, conversational AI can help with here is it can extract that data from the conversation with the candidate and then give you back that data that you need. So right away, you can scan it and you'll know that, hey, okay, this candidate, this nursing candidate is licensed to work in California. I know that already. Exactly. Yeah. High level, it'll give you all of the info that you know so that you're not repeating questions that the mm -hmm. candidate has already answered to you in, in another area. Right. Which in terms of time, that doesn't take much time, but in terms of the feeling that the candidate gets around it, they yep. feel that you're prepared if you already come to the table knowing that. And exactly. that's really important. Yeah. Um, another important thing that I see a lot of teams forgetting about, um, and this is related to the onsite itself. So you've got a candidate physically in the office. Um, did you remember to include a bathroom break <laughs> for your candidate in your five to eight hour uh, interview <laughs> cycle? Right. Um, that's one, you know, give 15 minutes. Um, try not to have more than like a two hour block of interviews without a break in between because your candidate's going to be distracted by how hungry they are, how much they need to use the restroom. Mm -hmm. They're not going to be able to perform on top of their game if you're not uh, remembering these human needs mm -hmm. <laughs> that every single person has. Absolutely. Yeah. So all of these, you know, little small touches are really going to show that you can reciprocate the time and the energy that this candidate is dedicating to your, pro your process. And, and really you're trying to just support their needs as best as you can. Right. And in their evaluation of you and your company as an employer, it's showing that your company values its employees as, as people. Exactly. Now, We've talked a lot about like the good things that recruiters can do to create a great candidate experience, but mm -hmm. sometimes a recruiter can do everything right, but the hiring team can drop the ball and create a poor experience. But we talked about this earlier uh, today, and you said oftentimes this is due to interviewer fatigue. Um, so 
how, how can recruiters manage interviewer fatigue and make sure the hiring team stays aligned around candidate experience? Yeah, absolutely. So we talked last week about doing regular check-ins with your hiring manager and your hiring team. You know, I try, especially when you have a lot of interviews ongoing, I try and do a weekly check-in with all of my interviewers on a one-on-one just to make sure that they're not feeling overwhelmed, right? Because this interview fatigue can really hide under the surface really easily if you're not getting that regular feedback. Right. And you're getting that regular feedback with your interviewers if you followed the processes we talked about in the last uh, last podcast. But what about getting feedback from candidates about about your interviewers? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, some common indicators that you can watch out for that you may hear from your candidates or you may see um, based on interviewer behavior. Um, like if your interviewer keeps canceling last minute and having to reschedule, if they're always running late to interviews, you know, that is giving an indicator to your candidate that um, your, your interviewer doesn't really want to be in that conversation, right? Um, you may get your feed, get feedback from your candidate that the interviewer didn't seem well prepared or they were distracted during the conversation or, you know, obviously multitasking. That's a huge red flag for me. You know, a burnout mm-hmm. interviewer is going to negatively impact every single candidate that they speak with and basically set you out back to square one because that candidate isn't going to want to continue the conversations after that point. Yeah, absolutely. And and a good way that you can automate gathering that feedback is you can use a really simple recruiting automation tool to send out like an automated email or text message with the link to like quickly like ask the candidate to like, hey, on a scale of like one to five, like how was your experience speaking to this recruiter? And if you'd like, please leave us a comment if you have anything else to say about it. Yeah. Um, certain ATSs actually have that that built in as an, an option. You can send out uh, survey feed, you know, feedback surveys at any step of the process. I know our mm-hmm. ATS Greenhouse, for example, has that, and we've selected to have the experience survey go out at the end of the candidate cycle. Mm-hmm. So um, that's that's definitely a great way. If you're in a smaller organization and you can do a little bit more high touch, I just send a text message or, or write off a quick email after I know the interviews wrap saying, hey, how did it go? Mm-hmm. And that's all you need to do, really. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's always that's always the best way. It's always great to have someone personally reach out. Yeah. But, you know, high high volume, that's probably it's just not, not, not necessarily applicable. Yeah. So that's why you can really lean on the technology that your team has invested in mm-hmm. to do those repeatable tasks for you. What happens if you get negative feedback from a candidate um, either directly or through the survey about an interviewer? What are you what are you supposed to do? So you really, as the recruiter, you know, you are the project manager, you're the people manager for this role and for your candidate's experience. And you really need to be okay with having that hard conversation with your colleague. You know, if they're giving a poor experience or they seem really checked out, I've had to go, you know, to one of my coworkers and say, hey, you know, it seems like you have really limited bandwidth recently. Um, do you still feel like you can commit to participate in this interview process? Um, and if you really properly set up alternates for your interviewers in the beginning of this hiring cycle, you know already who your replacement is and you can swap them in and give your colleague a mental break. You know, the last thing you want is for someone to not only perform poorly during interviews, but have it start negatively impacting their day-to-day work because you're piling too much on their plate trying to have them participate in this hiring cycle. It's going to be 
better for everybody for you to, you know, let that person just focus on their regular work. Yeah. So part of like creating a really great candidate experience is making sure you're creating a great experience for your hiring team to participate Mm -hmm. in that. Yeah. It goes hand in hand. Absolutely. Yeah. So talking about hard conversations, let's, let's talk about what happens when a candidate doesn't make the cut. You're rejecting someone. There's no way you're going to create a positive experience with a rejection, right? Well, so I would disagree. Um, you know, it, it is definitely true. A lot of recruiters, myself included, really struggle around giving negative feedback. You know, you've built a relationship with this candidate. Um, it can be really hard to reject someone who has been so passionate about your company or about the role. Um, and, and really the motivator for me is it's very common you hear about you know people being ghosted after interviews and it's so so frustrating when it happens to you as a recruiter but it's even more frustrating for a candidate because they're trying to get a job yeah so ghosting that's something both of us know because we're millennials and yeah. we know that what is uh, what is ghosting so ghosting is when you just completely disappear after Um, a conversation with someone. So let's say, you know, you have a couple of interviews with a company, you think as the candidate, it's gone great. And then they say, okay, great, we'll follow up with you in a couple of days, we just have to finish out some conversations. And then you never hear back from them again, not even a rejection email, they have just disappeared off the face of the earth. That's ghosting. And it's really funny because the term comes from from the dating world. Yeah. So essentially, what what you're doing is if you don't send any, you know, communications back to a candidate after rejecting them is you're basically being a really bad date. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you, there's, it's funny because, you know, recruiting is, there are a lot of parallels to dating. I've even seen right. some of my colleagues write articles comparing being a recruiter to being on Tinder or, you know, other dating apps like Bumble, whatever. Um, it's, it's basically, it comes down to like, don't leave me hanging. Like, let me know what happened. Yeah. Um, You know, so my philosophy is if someone has taken the time even just to submit an application, they deserve the respect of a reply. Like they if they've spent even more time in your interview process, that's where things can get really nuanced. You know, how do we let someone know that they're not a fit? How much information should we share? Can we legally share? Um, The bigger your organization, the harder it may be to actually share granular feedback and and Mm -hmm. ways for candidates to improve. It's much easier, you know, when you're at a smaller organization and you maybe don't have hundreds of candidates that you're interacting with. But at minimum, you know, you should have a form letter that politely, you know, lets someone know that they're not moving forward in the process that you can just fire out, you know, if there's an application that you don't, uh, that you don't want to consider. Absolutely. And there's even some creative things you can probably do with, with automation around that, like triggering some sort of simple survey, um, out to your hiring team about a rejected candidate and with a couple of options for them to select, like, we just liked other candidates more or not enough experience um, or, you know, poor skill fit for the role. Well, um, if you've set up your standard operating procedure right. and your baseline expectations, your interviewer should be submitting feedback within a certain agreed upon window. And mm-hmm. if they're not submitting that feedback, then you get to go, you know, knock on their door and say, hey, remember what we agreed to? Um, but hopefully that, you know, isn't something that you have to do, that that chasing and that follow-up, um, you know, regardless of the reason that someone is getting getting rejected, the bottom line is they're not a fit. So how do you 
tell them this in an appropriate way that still shows them that you're respecting the time that they've contributed. Mm -hmm. So my best practice is if they've only had phone interviews, it's okay to still reject them through an email and to use that form. Um, If a candidate has come on site, I try and give them the courtesy of a phone call rejection. And if I can share any feedback, I will try and share whatever can help them with future interviews. Um, you know, you really would be surprised how many candidates have told me that it is they've never received this rejection phone call before. And these are candidates who are pretty senior in their career, you know, development. Um, I understand, you know, larger organizations, again, you're going to have a different process, you're going to have different time limitations, but I really do feel like there's a, a more human to human touch and just letting someone know, hey, you know, you made it to this point, but unfortunately, it's you're not going to, you know, get all the way to the goalpost. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, if we have one too long, didn't listen <laughs> yeah. recap for this episode, what would it be? Okay. So the, the TLDL, I guess it would be instead of a too TLDR. long, didn't read. Yeah. yeah. Um, that will be, if you spend just a little time focusing on these candidate experience maximizers, you're going to have a stronger candidate relationship and you're going to be an excellent brand ambassador for your company. Thanks for joining us this week on TA20. Join us next week for a discussion on the state of diversity and inclusion today based on some research I've read from LinkedIn, as well as some information on how hiring teams can better support a diversity and inclusion strategy.